Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest podcast ever recorded for the greatest <laughs> Champions League campaign of all time. Welcome back to the overlap. I'm, of course, joined by my friend Rian, and we are talking about basically we're an hour after the second Champions League tie in the second semifinal, if that makes any sense. So basically after City Real Madrid, the second leg of that. We're recording very shortly afterwards. We're going to talk about both semifinals over the course of this podcast. There probably will be a lot of disagreements. And in fact, I probably will yell at Rian and vice versa. But I wanted to start off the, the pod talking about what I don't think is hyperbole. I really do not think is hyperbole in terms of being one of the greatest Champions League campaigns of all time. And I mean campaigns, not any singular game because you can quite literally point to six seven maybe even eight games that have been absolutely incredible it's even in the knockout rounds alone so that's what we're going to talk about um Rian, how are you I'm, I'm like still i'm recovering from I'm the doing, last like two days i i'm i'm doing good it's um it's funny you bring it up like that it's like i in a way madrid have almost like cinderella story themselves to a, to a final <laughs> like like they're they're like the 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 eighth seed in the ncaa tournament who yeah somehow like <laughs> come up against teams that one way or another played better than them but still they had like this magic that is that's brought them to uh to now the champions league final so it's kind <laughs> of a weird one it's not it's not like the big bad Madrid, I, I guess, in terms of like maybe the aura of, of playing in the Bernabeu, especially what's happened in the last three rounds. But they, they have they've almost played like the underdog, you know, in almost every one of these rounds. Oh, it's yeah. a weird one. I mean, we'll get into the details of of both semifinal ties. Um, we talk about underdog. You just mentioned underdogs, which I think is really interesting. Um, Villarreal being uh, the obvious underdog across all four teams. And still making it look like an all Spanish final was entirely possible at some point in, in this tie. Um, we're going to, we're going to start, let's start Rian with Real Madrid and let's start with the, the city game or their, their game against city. Um, where the hell do you even start? There I was, had... go, you know, go for it. No, because no, I actually, no, I don't know where to even start. I, I was I was gonna say I was literally thinking the 88th, 89th minute, I don't know, somewhere in those last five minutes of the of the 90. I had already been like workshopping this this take <laughs> that I was that literally was more like more or less like I it's just not enough to just have this team of like a few individuals that can <laughs> that can play like I was gonna say, like, oh, the last couple of years, you look back, it's been the teams that have had great systems and been able to get through. And I'm not sure if you're if a team can make it these what was it, six games, six straight games yeah. of of not really being cohesive at any point as a as a team. And although to caveat that, this this match itself, I think, was a bit different than than Real Madrid's last what seven games in this in the knockout stages, but nevertheless. A team that a lot of times didn't perform 
that great as a team, but really like played well for, for individual moments. Had that whole take going. And then out of nowhere, um, two goals in what was that? Four minutes, three minutes, almost. I think it was what the 90th and then the 90 plus one. It was was for, for, for both Rodrigo goals who, by the way, he had a fantastic game of the weekend against Espanol where La Liga won the 35th um, La Liga title. 84 seconds, I believe was the difference. So not even a minute and a half between both goals. Crazy. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you kind of had a loss for words, (laughs) Steve. Yes. But, but, uh, Again, just to talk about like this game specifically, I was ready, even outside of that kind of team versus individuals um, opinion. It, it, I was also ready to say that it's hilarious that they would lose on this game when this was like arguably like, talking about overall performance, the maybe the best they played in any of these past in any of these knockout games in terms of like just generally seeming like they they i think maybe the first leg and a stanford bridge against chelsea maybe is, is the other game but um the, this would have been the one game where it was like they weren't actually outplayed but they are going to end up going out because of like they, they i mean just they weren't able to be clinical enough for the for, for uh the good chance that they did make in the first and second half but again just uh, just mystified by by how by how things can change so quickly especially with this team can i okay so so let me ask you a question why are you so mystified by it like why is everybody seemingly so mystified by it that's the thing that's so interesting to me is because i don't know if if something happens once right if something like this happens once it's a coincidence if something happens twice it becomes a pattern if something something like this happens three times in a row, that's consistency. <laughs> so, I there's a reason why I said this like after the first leg. Like, if you don't bury Real Madrid, and I mean bury them, yeah. like a la Barcelona four nil at the Bernabeu, bury them. Like, they're they're bound to make a resurgence. It's it's literally like it's happened time and time again this season, and it's also in their DNA as a team. It happened during the whole period between 2016 and 2018 where they won three champions leagues in a row it happened each season like i think about the Bayern tie i think about the wolf or wolfsburg i believe was maybe yeah wolf, but yeah. i think about the i think about the atletico tie like this is there's a reason why i said this a month ago that they're going to win the champions league it's stuff like this it's literally pure moments so it, it feels cathartic to really say that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. The entire, the entire time. And, um, and what's, I think really interesting to me is I don't feel like Pep, like galaxy brain this like at all, really. Right. I, I think maybe the, maybe the only criticism you could give is, maybe like the sub of maybe Fernandinho coming on and he's on there at the same time as Rodri and, and they, and they do go a little bit more sitting back um, and trying to protect that one nil lead. 
like I, I guess you could criticize that a bit in terms of like you know city sitting back a little and then they did, did invite that pressure in some ways but I mean in theory it's a fine substitution it's just that whenever I, I don't even know I was gonna say like whenever you leave that chance that that one goal brings them back into it but it's not just the one goal they had to score two they scored two yeah. in, in those in those minutes and um i i the, the real overall tactical take that i can that i can really bring from from this is that we saw what almost 70 minutes of of manchester city with cal walker and I got to say, Vinicius looked pretty average for those 70 minutes <laughs> playing against Kyle Walker. He did. Every other, they played, what, 90 plus, like, 40-something minutes without Kyle Walker. And they conceded six goals right. in that time. Uh, I mean, the, the first goal specifically in this in this second leg. Of which two were penalties, I think, should be, should Fair. be added. Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Still yeah. four goals. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you're talking about four open play goals. Yeah. Um, the first goal in in this one, the, the one in the 89th minute. First off, fantastic ball from Camavinga, who for now the third straight second leg round, he has come <laughs> in for Tony Cruz and completely rejuvenated their midfield. Um, great ball by him. And Cancelo was just kind of caught. I mean, napping's a little harsh, but but Kyle Walker's just a better defender than him. So it, yeah. it's it's hard to it's a what if, obviously, but a 70, 75% Kyle Walker, which I think is what we saw. Kyle Walker was playing on a bum angle that entire 70 minutes and still was fantastic uh defensively. Even like a 70, 75% Kyle Walker, you'd still feel like he probably gets to that ball ahead of uh, Benzema just on, you know, his pace to be able to, to yeah. cut that out. And, and um, I think it should be added throughout this game. Benzema was dis- dispossessed four five, six times by some combination of Ruben Diaz, Rodri, and Laporte. And I truly don't think like this is a game where Benzema can look back and say, oh, I had a wonderful game. Um, I think he had moments. He obviously had his moment in the first, uh, the very first goal um, and obviously scored the penalty. But prior to that, for 90 minutes, I thought he was very much in and out of the game, um, very much did not have the opportunity even to hold up the ball. I mean, we're talking about a Real Madrid team that their first shot on goal was their first goal. <laughs> think about that for a second. The, the Vinicius miss in the first half, and then the, she dismissed, I believe, in the very beginning of the second half. Yeah. And there, like, there were chances. They weren't on target, but they were there. And to think that this is the first time Real Madrid have ever, in I think eight or nine opportunities, been able to turn around a semifinal deficit, I, I truly think this is a monumental moment for this team and i want to i want to draw a parallel for you it reminds me a lot of and you'll know this the 2010 chelsea side coached by ancelotti because this was i think a couple years after Mourinho had left 
it was a team that still, I mean, really relied on the old guard, right? I mean, Drogba was the top scorer in the Premier League that year. Um, I think it was uh, Lampard, Michael Ballack Lampard was still was, around. Lampard, yeah. like th- there was there was some element of old guard that really dominated this team. Obviously, the same team that went on to win the Champions League two years later. And now, uh, by the way, I believe at that point was the highest um, point total for a Premier yeah. League side that won that won well. the Premier League and goals. And you're looking at a Real Madrid side now, coached by Ancelotti, potentially on track for one of the largest gaps between first and second in winning La Liga and also just bumming their way to a Champions League final and setting Vibe, up a potential double vibing, for them. Vibing. Their vibing. Way. <laughs> All right, what, I mean, sure, if you really want to call it vibes, but that that's incredible to me. That's incredible to me. Now, whatever comes in future years, years for Real Madrid, uh, who knows? But you just can't write them off. You really, really cannot. That's If there's anything that anybody has learned throughout the Champions League campaign, it's that take a picture of every time Real Madrid are down and they have one or two goals left to score with whatever, whether it's 20 minutes, two minutes left, because there's a chance that that's going to be a pretty golden <laughs> golden picture in about 10 years. Yeah, I mean, that was the crazy thing about this game. As you said, it it really wasn't a particularly good game from Benzema. Right. And, and I kind of say that with, I'm trying to say that like cautiously because in almost every one of these other games, he's scoring like these half chances, like not even really half chances. Like they're not like the goals that he scored in these previous rounds have not really been half chances. They've been just something out of nothing. And then in this game, I think he had a couple of those very similar types of chances that I think he scored in the last couple of rounds and he just didn't <laughs> score them. And it's like, okay, yep. yeah, that's normal. That's actually what should happen most of the time. Right. And, and for that reason, I, yeah, that was the other thing that I was thinking in my head too, was, was you know, when, when 90% of your attacking plan is switching out to Vinicius and then Vinicius somehow finds a way to get the ball to Benzema. When that's kind of your entire plan of attack, that's <laughs> it, it. There is an unsustainability to it, right? And in the end, that, that they end up getting through by doing some by scoring goals that wasn't that attacking plan, right? Like that that first ball to Vinicius just wasn't there because again, Kyle Walker was was just matching him stride for stride, and and it's that's that's not a player that's easily beaten um in in this game it was this is now what two straight uh legs second legs where rodrigo comes off the bench and scores a goals that that really give real madrid a lifeline and keep them in the tie and and then and um yeah b- big two goals in this game obviously but I, yeah, I don't have much else to say about the Real Madrid side of this. Like, I, it's it's magical. It's <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to to watch them do this three straight game, three straight uh, second legs at least. Uh, each one of them in a different way, right? I, I think like the PSG one, I think was like a just total like mental collapse for like thirty minutes from from. PSG. I, I think I think that's the difference here, though, right? Like I think you just hit the nail on the head. Is that you're talking about a collapse from the opponent versus the last two ties? Arguably, have been well, 
massive, massive boosts from Real Madrid at the right times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like the, it's the aura, the aura around them. And, and <laughs> I can, I can give you all the stats and all of this. Right. And, and part of that being like, actually in this game is, is one of the few games in this, in these um last few, last four or five uh, Champions League games for Real Madrid, where they actually did produce more XG than the, than the opponent. Uh, but it's, it's just, it's a really tough one to take for Manchester if you're in Manchester City because it was there. And even though I, I think they didn't play as well in this in this game as they did in the first leg for sure. Um I, I think the possession was almost 50-50. It was it was quite literally 49-51. Yeah. It's it's you have to dominate this Real Madrid team to <laughs> to win. And we saw what that led to even in the first leg. They still only won 4-3. And it's going to be lost in all of this again. But we talked. I talked about it after the second leg against Chelsea um, when we were able to pull that out. But Thibaut Courtois, once again, in in the moments when the tie could have been completely taken out of their hands, he did it with a save against Kai Havertz um, in the second leg against Chelsea. I think it was off a corner, a great save off of Havertz header. And then he did it again in this leg with a couple saves. The Grealish one, not the one that's cleared off the line. I I, I don't think that one was going in. Honestly, when they showed the when they showed the you're, you're talking about the one times, in the like but eight, the, 87th minute or whatever. Exactly. It was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, the again, a good sub from Pep. Grealish came on and was tearing the entire left side of, of Real Madrid, um, right right side defensively of Real Madrid apart. Like Carvajal could not deal with him. Eder Militao was on his last legs. And he just couldn't get past Courtois. Uh, that, that one save where he just toes it away, like one that's going in, which is really tough for Grealish. But again, Courtois. And then... I'm thinking about the the Fernandinho miss, which is which was a tough chance, honestly. But the tip that Courtois gets on the ball right before it gets to Fernandinho, it's it'll probably be lost in all of this. But Courtois, I said it on Twitter, and and maybe it was a little hyperbolic, but I, I think he's been at least maybe better or maybe more important to this run than Karen Benzema because even for all of Benzema's goals and all of his contributions to, to goal scoring, they should have been out in the last two rounds <laughs> and goals that would have put them, put the ties out of reach were miraculously, miraculously saved by Thibaut Courtois. So I, I think he's got to get almost as much, at, at least as much credit, I think as Karen Benzema. And then just like the one last thing on that, just to kind of wrap that Courtois point up. I think I said last week that Real Madrid have three players that can just change a game and and at, at any moment. I think I said it was Vinicius, Benzema, and and Modric at this point. I, I think I, I think have to have throw to add, in yeah. Courtois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, changing the game in a in a different way. Completely. I mean, he saved them even during the PSG tie, like yeah. going way, way, way back. He he has been a majority of the reason 
why Real Madrid are in the Champions League final. Hands down, hands down. Um, do, is, there, is there any praise you want to give Camavinga at the very least as a, a parting, oh, yeah. parting way before we move on to the next tie? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we should just touch on the city part of this, right, before we go to the next tie. But um, Camavinga, yeah. I Look, that's that's the future. That's the future of the Real Madrid midfield right there. And I said it, said that I think that he probably should be starting over Tony Cruz. Um, look, God bless Tony Cruz in that final against Liverpool's <laughs> press. God bless him. Because if you thought that Man City's press was difficult for him which for a lot of these two games it was yeah. it's like multiply it by five or maybe ten when you're talking about what's going to be coming at them from from liverpool so i have a lot of love for kamavinga he come on he came on and changed the game in multiple champions league ties and he's not even 20 yet so crazy actually crazy well, let's, let's talk side, br- very briefly about the city yeah. side. Uh, um, I said this to you about two months ago, and I said, look, if Pep does not either – actually, if he doesn't win the league and doesn't at the very least make the Champions League final in that position that he was in, I think there's a non-zero chance that he leaves in the summer. And I think those chances increase a little bit in my opinion, but – I think they are still very clear favorites to win the league. Liverpool still have to play Spurs. They still have to play who they have to play Arsenal. Am I not um, Arsenal? They play another uh, top team, um, their top six team, but forget yeah. who it is. My point being, how do you think this impacts Pep's legacy now? I mean, it, for, for when you're talking about from a Manchester City perspective obviously still the most successful coach that they have ever had. And he'll be the best coach <laughs> that probably they'll ever have in their history. And, and um, he's taking that team, that club, not just team to an entirely different level. I, obviously with him and, and cheeky uh, barracks. Uh, I, I don't even remember how to pronounce his last name. I know name. exactly. You're talking about. Um, um, yes. As well as Ferran Soriano, like that whole infrastructure of the club, he's taken it to a whole a level that that was kind of unimaginable, even when um, the Sheik bought the team. When you're talking about Champions League legacy, just his legacy as a coach in the Champions League, regardless of the team that it's been that, that he's been with. Uh, it's just like he's won two of them and you're still going to feel like he left. He's probably left like two more on the table. Realistically. I mean, he quite literally could have slash maybe should have beaten Chelsea. Sorry. Not sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that they should have, they should have won that. And I mean, you're also talking about the season now. Honestly, yep. we can go all the way back to the season. Where we can pick Bayern. We can pick almost any one of those Bayern seasons. I mean, yeah. I mean, you talked about it when they got knocked out by Atletico yep. off of uh, off of the greatest goal that Saul <laughs> ever scored in <laughs> his life. He peaked. He peaked like four years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I have. I I love. I love Pep Guardiola. I, he's he's the best coach. I like coach. 
purely coach. I think he's the best yeah. coach that we've probably ever seen in, in terms of like modern European soccer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to reconcile like what this means for, for him, um, for his Champions League legacy, because we've also seen, because the day wasn't one of the times when he quote unquote out think out thunk it. Um, it you have to reconcile that plus that the teams that he won the Champions League with are arguably the greatest teams we've ever seen in European soccer. So, yeah. so it, it's it's hard. It's hard. Um, I, I will never go and say that he couldn't win it with without a team that was basically perfect, but his team was base, was perfect. <laughs> um, the, team, the Champions League titles that he won. And uh, for one reason or another, it just it, the the same success hasn't been replicated with with his other teams and um with Bayern he had that striker he had the he had Rob Lewandowski he had the striker up top that that could get the goals with City his he had so he had Kunaguero who who was that type of striker but wasn't was not I guess the quote unquote Pep Guardiola style of of striker Erling Holland won't necessarily be that if he comes to the club. You say will but or will not? It, it, I said, I, I don't think he won't be that type, that prototypical right. uh, Pep Guardiola striker. Funny enough, the guy that probably is the closest thing to that is most likely leaving in the summer and Gabriel Jesus. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's a tough one. I don't know. How, how do you, how do you kind of think about him as you watched him extensively as your coach for yeah. four seasons? And how are you kind of like, how does his legacy kind of fit with you seeing what you saw for those years? And then obviously the success or lack of success that we've seen since leaving Barcelona. I'm trying to reconcile it, right? Because if you asked me, or if you told me as a manager, you Pep or you Elias, you Rian, you're going to reach like four champions league finals in your career. You're going to make, six or seven Champions League semifinals, and you're going to win at least two Champions Leagues, you cannot tell me there is a single person in the world that would say, hey, nah, it's not good enough. <laughs> like, like there's, there's just no, there's nobody that can objectively look at that and say that's a failure. But I feel like there's this, there's this aura around Pep existing as him being like such a quote-unquote like galaxy brain type manager who just, literally mind fucks you and just dominates you on the field. Like there's no other way of putting it, but in reality, I think we've come to realize that there are so many other variables of the game. And there was at some point when he was the manager of Barcelona, such a difference in class and talent between everybody in like that Barcelona team and the next two, three, four, maybe even five top teams in the world one of which was real madrid at the time coached by Mourinho. now you're seeing i think a european landscape that has liverpool and city as the two best teams in the world for sure but it's not enough to be just one of the best teams the the gap in talent i think is there 
I think the gap in just pure dominance is there. Consistent dominance over long periods of time is there. But the Champions League is, is not just about talent. It's about you having basically 10 games, give or take, obviously, to say, okay, like we have 10 games to show up, and that's our season being measured. And the measurement for success has changed along with that gap between, let's say, one and five in terms of the strength of a team. So I think anyone, no one can sit here and say Pep Guardiola is not a successful manager. I think his standard has just consistently year over year gotten higher and higher as a byproduct of the team that he's been able to put together, the results in England that he's been able to have. You think that translates? Zinedine Zidane said it best himself. I'd rather win La Liga 10 times over than the Champions League because it's that much harder. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think you put that pretty beautifully. Yeah. There's, it's, it's knockout soccer. It's fucking silly. It's, it's extremely <laughs> silly. <laughs> and uh, again, it's just what makes any time your, your favorite team wins it, makes it that much sweeter because you know that being the best team um, or even being at worst the second best team, <laughs> um, it 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 doesn't translate. It doesn't necessarily 100%. translate. I have one last question for you on um, Manchester City, and we'll move on. But how do you think this impacts the Premier League race? Do you think this impacts them at all? Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question now, right? It, it's, it's how much does this affect their mentals? Like, I mean. Also importantly, Cal Walker, he's going to be, if he plays another game the rest of the season, he's playing <laughs> on like on a bum ankle. And yeah. we'll see how much that affects things. I, I don't know how much it'll affect it. It's, it's, the ment- it's the mental side of it, right? It, it really depends on how I think. And, and I, I was listening to... Um, the Stadios, like their their live podcast, like right after the game um, on Spotify, and one of the co-hosts was basically saying like, a lot of it depends on how he frames this game to um, whether it's to the public or or to the players themselves because they didn't play poorly. Um, they just they, I mean, the, the moments, just the moments. Once again, um, they they couldn't quite they couldn't quite hold it off in the end. But it, yeah, it really depends on how he frames this. Like, if he frames it as you guys played great and you just got, as I've seen someone on on uh, Twitter say, you got footballed. You just you just got, it just it just <laughs> things turned and and um and things changed in what like two two minutes if he frames it like that that like you really there's really not much else you could have done then then hopefully that gets the players kind of right back into the mindset let's finish off this season um but if if this loss brings any sort of doubt into their into their minds over the next four games then yeah i'd be a little concerned i'd be a little concerned from the mental side like if this loss brings in any doubt any doubts into either the way that they play or kind of their own confidence in their ability to to win these games 
if it brings any doubt, then then I think there's some concern. I I think that these guys are experienced enough, or or a lot of them are experienced enough to not let it get to them in that way. But um, that's kind of the million dollar question. Yeah, I I would hope that it doesn't affect them, right? In the league, it's totally separate competition with a completely different different goal. I just I'm not confident enough to say that it will or won't on it. Like that's honestly what it comes down to for me. Um, I guess in the interest of time, we must move on and talk about Liverpool Villarreal, uh, a game that I think it's gave, not going to get as much time as it should have, right? <laughs> it, it really, it really should. I mean, let's let's talk about Villarreal in the first half, right? That's that was what dominated the headlines, the the progression of play. Liverpool amounted a total of, you can fact check me on this, 0.06 XG in the first half. I don't believe that they registered a shot and goal in the first half. I have to double check that. That might be wrong. But their XG was nearly zero. Villarreal's XG in the second half was literally zero. If you have a story to tell about a tale of two halves, you're going to be telling this, you're showing this game as that story. Villarreal came out flying in the first half. And that this, I think tells a really good story about what I was just mentioning about like that golf and talent at, at the top five and how I think it's very much consolidated right now um, versus maybe 10 years ago is a little different. It's more of a duopoly or um, yeah, I would say maybe a duopoly in this case, Man, Villarreal just, I don't think, could last over 90 minutes for for as much as Liverpool pushed and pushed and pushed. It just, it felt like it became too much for them. Let, I mean, let's talk about the first half. Like, the first goal, brilliant. Second goal, terrible defending all around for Liverpool. They quite literally looked asleep in majority of that first half. Nothing seemed, in terms of long balls out towards the wing, towards Salah, uh, to attach to anyone's foot. It was disjointed. It, it, it felt more like a pressure cooker than even I expected. And then the second half, everything unraveled, especially after Luis Diaz came on. But let's give Villarreal at least their credit um, for also oh, making yeah. it this far. And screw you, Jason Cundy. Like, you, <laughs> you watched one of these smallest, like, first... I guess division teams probably in Europe make it yeah. to a Champions League semifinal. Like this is an Ajax, right? From three years ago. This is a very, very different type of team. Yeah. I mean, that first half was just like kind of magical. <laughs> they, yeah. they, as you said, they flew out of the blocks. They, they honestly just pressed higher than I expected them to. Um, and obviously that, that was that maybe who knows if that kind of threw Liverpool off guard. I, I kind of, I hesitate to say something like that about, again, these are ex- extremely experienced players. That <laughs> I think they would have gone into this game thinking that there was a chance that Villarreal are going to try to press them very high. Like they were down two goals. So that, that was always a possibility, but um, I, they, they pressed extremely well. Um, they really didn't allow Liverpool's midfield to get any sort of time on the ball. And we saw Liverpool playing it long a lot more than usual, too. Uh, I think especially from the from the center backs and the and and from uh Trent and uh and Andrew Robertson, like they were playing it long to up to Salah, Mane, and Diogo Jota a lot in that first half. And 
that was much easier to deal with from Villarreal than what they saw the week prior, where they did drop off more and Liverpool were just a lot more patient. And there was just none of that patience in the first half, I think, from Liverpool. And that on top of um, Villarreal, honestly, just sending more men forward and doing some really interesting stuff that Michael Cox wrote about in, um, in The Athletic, where Moreno and, and Dia, when Villarreal had the ball, were kind of were going, were the ones going wide, whereas like every one of their four midfielders were were coming in central, and and it was really interesting to see how much um, I think Moreno especially was was going out to the wing and, and finding space out there, and um, I think for a lot of that first half, Villarreal were finding space on the wings against Liverpool, and we've talked about this a lot. That's where that's where you're going to find space against them because as much 100%. as you can stay away from as I call them, the final bosses of, of, <laughs> of Van Dyke and or and uh, Allison, like as much as you could keep the ball away from them, then uh, you have a better chance of, of beating them. And Villarreal, I think, executed their game plan perfectly in the first half and maybe maybe too perfectly because then they had the, then they had the, the tie. It was draw it was drawn at the, at, the, at the end of the half. And then, you know, second half the game state has changed now it's now it's all right we've got something to hold on to and i think they did drop a little deeper um but at the same time they liverpool specifically fabinho which again this was something that, that michael cox had noted like fabinho was able to get forward a lot more and as and we saw it in the first goal and Mamma mia, Geronimo <laughs> Rui. <laughs> that first one's a tough, that's a tough first goal to give up. Because, um, I mean, after that first goal, right, is when you saw in the first leg, you saw it with Liverpool throughout the season. I, I think back to that Everton game, too, where it's a domino effect. One goal goes in, and all of this pressure just seems to mount. They press even more, they press even higher. And you're in a position where you very well and very quickly could concede a second. Yeah. And then that, that second one comes at the hands of Luis Diaz. Yeah. Just, just changed the game completely and changed the game in a, obviously scoring the goal and, and being so um, influential in terms of getting Liverpool ahead in the tie again, but the ball just stuck to him more like they they were more patient they didn't play as many long balls but also when it got to him it stuck and he was able to draw Villarreal players out of position more than Diogo Jota and and that's again those are just two different styles of players like Diogo Jota is not the type of player that's going to dribble at defenders as much he's kind of a poacher realistically yeah. but um Diaz was just just unbelievable the, the way that he moves with the ball is just scary it's yeah. really scary like really terrifying and uh yeah it's very sad that we're not going to get to see him in the world cup but um he he really there's no reason that he shouldn't start uh, pretty much every game for the rest of the season now for liverpool a hundred percent yeah and i was more curious i think i, I mentioned this to you that they, as in Jurgen Klopp, did not start Henderson in this game. I was I was genuinely surprised that he did not get the start, especially, A, I feel like in these type of games, you need your captain. I think that goes without saying. But more so from a tactical standpoint, 
I feel like what Henderson would have brought in that first half would have just been a sense of stability and calm, whether that's tactical fouling, whether that's the ability to hold on to the ball for more than three seconds, which seemingly Liverpool could not do something that Henderson does really well in shielding the ball and protecting the ball. I was very surprised that he didn't start. I mean, granted, he eventually came on. Diaz changed the game, lights out from there. But I think having Jordan Henderson on would have probably avoided a few Liverpool heart attacks. And from a Luis Diaz, like Diaz's perspective, I think he came on at the perfect time. In some ways, like I'm glad he didn't start because Villarreal were tired. Come like the 60th minute, you could tell they were really fatigued. And if you're bringing on a fresh, true out and out winger in, you know, an out in winger to make those runs like 50 times over the course of 40 minutes. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty good recipe for at least a goal, which he got very well. (laughs) So I I think, I think in some ways Jurgen Klopp did play it pretty well. Yeah, I, I, I was surprised that Henderson didn't come on at the beginning of the second half, honestly. I, I thought yeah. it was very, very loose with it. Was really poor, <laughs> really poor in the first half. And and he's just kind of like, you know, he's I like Keita as best, but he's just not very consistent. Um, there's a lot of talent there, but but the consistency, I think, is kind of what's missing from his game. But uh, either way, they were able to get through it. I'd find it hard to believe um, that Cato, that uh, Henderson wouldn't start in the in the Champions League final, but you know, we'll, obviously, we'll, we'll see health and whatnot. But um, no, this is now what, three Champions League finals in five years for Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. It's just a crazy, unbelievable achievement. <laughs> it's um, especially as as we talked about with the dominance of Manchester City um, in England. Not, not just the dominance on the pitch, but the financial dominance as well, uh, especially over Liverpool. Um, think about the, the sums that are paid for for their players. Um, it, it's it's a really an unbelievable achievement, I think, from Liverpool and specifically from Jurgen Klopp. But uh, looking ahead to that final, really quickly, Elias, we, we're going to have lots of time to really dig into it. Oh, don't you worry. Yeah, we'll have time. But... Um, I got to say, as someone who has money on Liverpool to win the <laughs> final, um, I, I I didn't say this to you, but I was really, outside of hoping to see Manchester City and Liverpool play just for, you know, the fact that, again, these are the two best teams in Europe. But outside of that, I was always more afraid of Real Madrid beating Liverpool in the final, not only because of the aura, but because I think that Vinicius has a much better chance of, of finding success against Liverpool than he did versus Real Madrid. And you know who plays on the right side for Liverpool <laughs> <laughs> at fullback is, is Trent Alexander-Arnold. And uh, that's a matchup that is is the most concerning one if you're a Liverpool fan. I think... We'll have a lot of time to digest who's even available in three weeks' time, but I I could not agree with you more, at least on paper. That matchup is going to be tasty. Um, Also, in some ways, I'm more excited to see Virgil van Dijk against Benzema, um, 
especially just as their profiles are probably the most old fashioned conservative definitions of their specific roles, at least in the modern game. I'm very excited to see that clash of styles and also just excited to see like Sala play against Real Madrid in general, because <laughs> that's yeah, it gets a second very chance. exciting. Yeah. Get to getting a second chance already tweeted out by the way, while we were recording um, something along the lines of running it back. But <laughs> I think, I think each team has their work cut out for them. I think, like I said, weeks ago, Real Madrid are going to win the champions league and they're still my favorites but aided even more so in my opinion by the fact that Real Madrid have wrapped up the league. They don't have anything else to focus on other than the Champions League final, which you could argue is maybe detrimental in terms of not having, you know, that much playing time or intense playing time. I I get that, but Liverpool, I finally looked into this, have to play Tottenham at the weekend. They still have the FA Cup final against um, Chelsea. Right. And they basically are playing a game every four days between now and three weeks from now when the Champions League final is at the end of May. So it's just more potential tired legs. That's all. Yeah, that's a great point. Like that they're putting they have to put everything into it mentally for the for the Premier League until the end of the season because there is the chance that uh City drops points and then Liverpool has to keep winning and you said it too. They have the FA Cup. Like they have important games. Like every single game is like a, a final, pretty much between literally. now and the end of the season. Like two, two of them be, literally being finals. Um. So, yeah, it, this this is a good one for like a case study in does the rest does not having uh, the pressure for those games leading up to the final. Does does that help you? Does it hurt you? So we're gonna get a pretty good answer in three yeah. weeks. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I think that wraps up basically the last Champions League podcast related to anything that's not the final <laughs> this season. <laughs> and with that, we'll be back later, I guess. What is today's Wednesday? So we'll yeah. be back early. No Premier League talk about the weekend's the, games. Yeah, no, no Premier League talk aside. If this if this had just ended one nil to, to city, we maybe would have had time to talk about the, the games from the weekend, but um, no, yeah, we just, we just didn't have it there. There's a lot happening at the bottom. Both, the both top two but... teams won. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's about it. <laughs> Leeds, <laughs> like, Leeds are looking, Leeds are looking nervous now as, as Elias did note a couple weeks ago, Leeds mm-hmm. are looking nervous. Burnley look like they could be in the champions league next in two seasons <laughs> how well they're playing um and they with and, newcastle uh, apparently but that's yeah, for different yeah, reasons yeah yeah and uh, we're hurtling towards um probably the most chaotic north london derby in a while so oh i'm so excited arsenal on 63 spurs on 61 um same number of games played that of course is next thursday but we'll preview it early next week we'll watch it We'll drink it all in, as a famous commentary commentator once said. <laughs> we'll be back talking to you guys next week. See ya. Thanks, guys.